hope how many of you were up late last night? <laughs> You're here, so you must not have been. Um, as I was looking through the different prayers in the Bible, I, this one in Colossians chapter 1, you can turn over to Colossians chapter 1, in the New Testament there, letter of Paul to the book or to the uh, church at Colossae. And uh, they were trying to impose certain rules, uh, legalism about eating and drinking and religious festivals, all these things. And, and Paul has to write them a letter and say, wait a minute, it's not about all that. It's about having sufficiency and su- the superiority of Christ. And um, he opens this little book in Colossians chapter 1 with a, a prayer. And uh, I thought it would be a, a good prayer for the new year for us as a body. And we're just kind of going to go br- briefly through this. But if you'd follow along as I read the first uh, 11 verses of Colossians chapter 1, you can follow along in your Bible. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it is also, also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, verse 9, from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you, so as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The Bible says in, also in Psalms 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's some amazing prayers in Scripture and this is one of them I think. Um, This is, as I said, a prayer by Paul, the apostle, for the church at Colossae. Sometimes we forget to pray for the church as the body of Christ. We pray for unsaved loved ones and relatives and all that, and we pray for the people in different countries to hear the word and be converted. But sometimes I think we forget to pray for the church of Christ, our own church even. We forget to pray when we have events on the calendar. This year we'll be having various different ones, hopefully. And I pray that as you notice them on the calendar, that you prepare to come. And that you prepare your heart to gather together with the saints of Christ to worship Him and hear the truth taught. Whether it's a man that recite scripture from memory or a man who teaches a seminar on discerning some of the erroneous teachers in the word of faith movement, whatever that might be, I pray that you pray for those opportunities when you see them coming up. I hope you pray each Sunday before our church service. I hope you're in a state of prayer asking that God would work that God would use His Word somehow in this small little fellowship to penetrate the hearts of those of us gathered here. I also 
hope that you pray for the outreach through the radio ministry that we have each Sunday at 3.30 on KFAX. It's amazing to me to think that the Word of God is going out across the Bay Area 50,000 watts of power. And they're hearing not just the teaching from this pulpit, but teachings from pulpits all over the Bay Area and really the world. And we need to pray that God would use that truth to penetrate hearts. Use that ministry. Pray for our missionaries. There's a lot of different ways that we can pray. But I, as I came to this prayer, I think this is a good prayer for us for the new year. Uh, may God grant us the request of our hearts as we delight ourselves in him. That's what he promises to do. And Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae was prayed for, first of all, you can follow along in your outline there, for perception. For perception. He starts off with thanksgiving in verse 3. And he goes through several verses there leading up to really his request. He's praising God that that God worked in their hearts, that we have a hope laid up in heaven. They, they've heard and, and uh, obeyed the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 6. It says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is, what's those next words? Bearing fruit and growing. Bearing fruit and growing. You know, when New Year's runs around, everybody, you know, I saw a bunch of people out running this morning. They had their sweats on. It looks like they're brand new. You know, they went out and bought brand new sneakers and brand new sweats and everything, just driving over to church early this morning. I saw all these people out running, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I wonder how long that's going to last. I mean, hey, that's great. I mean, we should all be running. We should all be exercising, doing what we need to be doing. But so many times this time of the year, you know, we make these empty promises, resolutions they're called, and when I read this this morning, I thought, you know, sometimes when it comes to our own faith, can we honestly look at our own life and say, is the gospel bearing fruit, as it says there in verse 6 in our own life, and is it growing? It says, as it does among you, since the days you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Ask yourself this question. Are you the same person you were a year ago, spiritually? You can throw in other ways, emotionally, and all those other ones. But the main point this morning is, are you the same person you were a year ago spiritually? Or have you borne fruit? Have you grown? Have you seen God work in your life? Are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to allow God to do in our lives. And he says there in verse 7 that they learned this from Epaphras, who was a fellow servant. And that indicates to me that our lives are a mirror, are a picture for other people to look at. And if the life is staying the same, the claims of Christ and all the promises of salvation and the mighty work of God in your life, if you're just the same person you were, people probably scratch their head and say, well, why would I want that? You don't change. You're the same person you were five years ago. Yeah, you go to church every week, big deal. I don't see any life in you. And it says that he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You know, the one thing I pray for this new year that would mark our church is a love for each other in the Spirit of Christ. Not that that doesn't already exist to some extent, but I pray that that would grow. I pray that that would increase I pray that when people gather here, they would look into the lives of the people here and say, wow, these people really love not only God, but they love each other. In verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what he asks, first of all, for perception. He says, that you may be filled, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I mean, think about that prayer. 
I mean, if you believe in a God and you believe that God is almighty and you believe that God is sovereign, you believe God is all-knowing, Paul here is praying for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of that God's will. I mean, that's an amazing prayer. Paul prayed for the church that they would be able to understand and perceive, first of all, the will of God. Have you ever scratched your head and said, you know, as a Christian, what's God's will for my life? There's so many people that believe that God took his will for their life and hid it somewhere under a rock. (laughs) Said, now we're going to play this game of hide and seek for the next 25 years. You're going to go out and you're going to look for my will. And right about the time you get close, I'm going to move it. (laughs) And that's their perception of the will of God. He says here that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. I mean, how are you going to understand God's will if you don't understand? Or how are you going to do God's will if you do not understand what God's will is for you to do? And this is a a very common interest among Christians. What's God's will? What's God's will? There's books written about this. You may have read some of these books. Um, They're on the Christian books bookshelves. One of them is called Wild at Heart by John Elridge. Here's what he says about how you find God's will. John Elridge hears from God through books and movies. But at other times, God's voice is apparently direct and audible. And you can read about that. That's what he claims in his book, Wild at Heart. Some good stuff in the book. But his perception of understanding and being aligned with God's will is a little odd to me. It seems a little subjective. Another writer, Bill Hybel, says this. He wrote a book called The Power of a Whisper. And he says, without a hint of exaggeration, I can boldly declare that God's low-volume whispers have saved me from a life of sure boredom and self-destruction. Then he says this, I firmly believe that God whispers to you too. If you lower your ambient noise of your life and listen expectantly for those whispers of God, your ears will hear them. And when you follow their lead, your world will be rocked. Now you might say, well, what do you bring that up for? Because when it comes to the will of God, I've heard people say over and over and over again, just in common conversation, yeah, I was praying the other morning and, and God just told me to do this. Or, you know, I just, I just felt led to do that. And I'm thinking, really? So God spoke to you? Is that what you're telling me? Well, I, you know, I just felt this power, this urge, or whatever, impression, whatever you might say. Now, does the Holy Spirit live within us? Does the Holy Spirit definitely lead us and guide us? Yes, he does. But that, that leading and that guidance is always in subjective to what? The Word of God, right? I remember meeting with a couple, when I was a youth pastor, I don't know what I was doing, meeting with a couple, I wasn't even married yet. They were going through some marital problems. And I said, well, what's the problem? And they both looked at me and said, well, we prayed about it. And we just believe that God told us that we should get a divorce. <laughs> so when did he tell you this? Well, we just committed our, ourselves to pray for a week about the situation. Our marriage isn't a good one. And we thought, well, we both definitely feel that God wants us to get a divorce. And I remember telling them, I, I don't know who's telling you to get a divorce, but it's not God. <laughs> just based on the, on, the, on the truth of his word. See, sometimes those whispers and those little impressions seem harmless. But it also leads to a lot of, you might say, subjective error. I mean, it sounds kind of adventurous. But you know what? I, I don't think that God works that way because here's the problem with those views of God revealing his word 
His truth to you, His will to you through whispers or through whatever. They lure you away from the safety and certainty that we already have in the Bible. And it really throws you into an area of sub- subjectivism, which you know anybody could interpret any, any way they want. That phrase there, when he says, filled with the knowledge, that means to have full knowledge. Paul did not want the church to guess at what God's will for their lives was. He didn't want them to scratch their heads and go, gee, what does God want me to do? And I don't want you to live your Christian life thinking, gee, I guess it's just a kind of a, a random thing, spin the wheel and see what God has for me today. No. You can know without certainty what God wants you to do. You don't have to meander through life hoping your life is counting for something. You can know that it is. The will of God is not meant to be a secret that we're to uncover or find. God wants us to understand his will far more than we want to understand it. And he always makes his will clear to those who are seeking him with an obedient heart. He always does that. Most of the real problem areas in the question of the will of God are really settled for us already here in Scripture. Psalm 143, verse 10, David prayed this prayer. And this should be the prayer of every devout Christian. David prayed, Lord, teach me to do what? Your will. Teach me to do your will. That's what we should be concerned about in 2012. As an individual, as a family, as a church, are we doing the will of God? Well, how do you know what God wants you to do? That's the question, right? That's the basic bottom line question. Because as a Christian, you definitely want to affirm the lordship of Christ. You understand that he is in control and you're not. You want to obey him. But to obey him, you you should know what he wants you to do. Even the Lord Jesus Christ emulated that. He gave us that example, right? Remember when he was in the garden and he was praying and what did he say? He said, not my will, but what? Yours be done. Because from a human standpoint, he didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to suffer anymore. I mean, his humanity was screaming for everything to stop. But he subjected himself to the will of God. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. You see that as Paul praise. You see it as we've been going through the gospel of Matthew. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Then what's it say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that should be a concern that we all share as believers. Well, the Bible reveals to us, and this isn't in your notes, but you can jot these down. I'll have, they'll be up there on the screen. They should be. The Bible reveals what is God's will for us. Very basic. Very basic. The first one is, is that you be saved. That you be saved. And we're not going to go through these in detail. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires what? All men and women and children to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You don't have to pray about that one. If you want to know what God's will for you is, clearly it's for you to be saved, for you to be born again. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The first thing God wants for you concerning his will is that you're saved, that you know him in a personal way, that your sins have been forgiven. That you've abandoned yourself to a holy God and allowed him to take control of your life. That's not, it's an easy thing to say, but it's not an easy thing to do. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you here this morning, you can't do that. You can't just stand there and go, okay, I'm going to declare myself saved. It doesn't work that way. You've got to go before God and you've got to cry out to him for his mercy. In his grace, 
and his forgiveness. And the reason you would cry out to him is because he's the Savior and you need one. See, if you're not there yet, then you don't need a Savior. If you don't understand the wretchedness of your own sin, the Bible says for none, nobody's perfect. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. Right from, you know, the people in the gutter right up to the highest echelon of religion in our world, the Pope. They've all sinned. Everybody has sinned. And we all need a Savior. Secondly, the Bible tells us that not only do we need to be saved from our sin through Christ, but we need to be Spirit-filled. We need to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled. Ephesians chapter 5 You see that there in verses 17 and 18. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. You know, sometimes people get into this, especially Christians, they get into this whole thing about, well, you know, is it okay to drink alcohol or not or whatever. I mean, Jesus drank wine, right? It wasn't the wine we drink today, beloved, trust me. Because they drank so much of it, he'd be, he'd be an alcoholic. I mean, if it was the kind of wine that we have today. You can still go over in Israel and drink wine in this watered-down wine. Because they don't have, back then they didn't have the best of water. It's almost like grape juice. Well, the Bible clearly says right here, don't get drunk with wine or anything else, for that matter. In other words, don't yield control of your body over to something that's an outside influence. Don't do that. But be filled, be controlled with the Spirit of God. And that's what that word means, filled. It means to be controlled. It means to be totally dominated by. I mean, that's what happens when you drink alcohol, right? I mean, if you drink enough of it. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I'd, before I was a Christian, I'd drink to get drunk. That was the only reason I drank. Because <laughs> I could be somebody I wasn't. Ended up being a jerk is what I ended up being, but <laughs> that was beside the point. I didn't like the taste of it. I didn't like the after effect. I mean, who likes to be hugging a toilet the next morning, you know, after going out and drinking with the boy? It just didn't appeal to me. But I remember doing it, and I remember that alcohol literally controlling me. I mean, today I could probably take a sip of beer and it would control me because I haven't drank in so long, you know. But it says, don't be controlled by that. Don't be controlled by outside influences. Be controlled by the Spirit of God as Christians. Not only saved, but Spirit-filled. Thirdly, it says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. What's that mean? Your holiness. Sanctified being sanctified means to be holy. Does that mean you walk around in religious robes and wear a big cross around your neck and carry a big, heavy Bible around? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in your life, in your living, as a Christian. You don't have to pray about, well, should I get mixed up in this worldly stuff or not? I wonder. No. The Bible says that we're a peculiar people, that we're sojourners here on this earth. This world is not our home, amen? We're just passing through. So don't get too comfy with the worldly comforts. Be sanctified, be set apart. Why? Because it says this is the will of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Your sanctification. That's not an option for a Christian. So many times I see Christians who, you know, they, they walk the line. They're, they're, they're between the world and the church, and boy, depending on what day of the week it is, it depends on where you'll find them. That's not the life that Christ has called us to live. He's called us to live a life that is sanctified. That means set apart. That means it's different. Does that mean that some people will look at you and say, wow, you're weird? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> that's exactly what it means. You're peculiar, the Bible says. 
You're a people that God has called to his own self through his own son. And that's how we're to live. We're not to straddle the fence. We're not to compromise. Now, with that being said, that doesn't mean that we have to act like jerks. Because we're also to go out to a lost and dying world and give them the gospel. And so you don't isolate yourself. I'm not talking about isolation. I'm not talking about becoming a monk up on top of a mountain and nobody else around and just you and your little Bible and that's all you do is pray all day. Well, that's not what God has called you to do either. Because he said that we're to be the what? The light and the salt of this earth. How are you going to do that? If I keep the salt in the cupboard and I don't you know, mix it with the food that I'm making, it's not going to have any impact. I remember at a dinner one time, somebody said, don't you have any salt? And I said, well, yeah, it's actually, but it's not in the food, it's actually on the, on the shelf. I forgot to put the salt in the food. <laughs> Didn't do any good. Fourthly, not only saved, spirit-filled, and sanctified, but look at this that we are to submit ourselves to God. What a concept. James chapter 4, verse 7. That word submission is not, a, is not a good word in our society today. People don't like that word, submit. But it tells us right there, God's will for you is to submit yourself to God. What does that mean? That means that you don't make up your own game plan. You just don't do that. If God says, you know what, here's here's how I want you to do this, whatever it might be. So many times we look at that and go, eh, you know what, I'm going to tweak that a little bit and just kind (laughs) of come over here and do my own thing. And then we end up in a world of hurt, and God says, told you, that's not my plan for you. You need to submit yourself to God. And then it says in Ephesians 5.17, Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be subject to one another, look at that, in the fear of Christ. Ephesians 5, 17. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What's that mean? That means everybody's not running around. No, I want my way. No, it's my way. My way is better. What's that? That leads to humility, right? We're to be subjective to one another in love for the fear of Christ. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. 1 Peter 2, 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For such is the will of God. Well, I don't like our president. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not going to... No. You know what? Every human institution. Well, I don't agree with... You don't have to agree with it. But we're called to submit... To those in authority over us. And this other one here is suffering. Suffering. Not only saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submission, but suffering. <laughs> that wasn't in your game plan, probably, when you walked down the aisle or raised your hand to Christ or came to Christ, whatever fashion you did. I don't think they grabbed you and said, are you ready to suffer for Jesus now? <laughs> We don't hear much about this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, look at this. It says this, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And in chapter 4, 19 of 1 Peter, he says, Let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. See, suffering is something that just is simply there in the Christian life. Just because you get saved and you're saved from your sin and you're part of the church and, oh, you're committed and you're involved in all this stuff, that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. Where did we get this thinking? It comes from a lot of the health and wealth teachers is where we get it. You have a right. You know, you're, you're, you should speak speak. Uh, Surplus into your wallet and do all these crazy things. It's nuts. They're coming from a total opposite view of Scripture. The Bible says that Jesus said that, hey, you know what? You think I suffered? Wait till they get a hold of you guys. That's what he said. You're going to suffer in your Christian life. And that brings us to the last thing here is saying thanks. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says in everything, in everything, right? Not just when you get the promotion. Not just when, you know, things are working out with the family. Not just when you go to the doctor and he gives you that great test result that you've been looking for. No, it says in everything give thanks. What's that mean? That means when things aren't going so well in your family. When maybe the marriage turned a little rocky. Maybe the kids are acting up a little bit. Maybe the body's not cooperating. Whether it's a twisted ankle, a broken leg, cancer, whatever it might be. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not the thing that's happening to you, but the giving thanks. Because you have to understand, as a Christian, nothing can happen to you unless God allows it. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You're not going to wake up one day and go to the doctor and they're going to give you, oh, you know, prognosis of, you know, oh boy, you got terminal cancer. Wow. Okay. How are you going to react to that? You don't think God already knew that? You don't think God somehow is going to get you through that? doesn't mean you're going to live, but he'll give you the grace that you need. When you stop and think about it, I mean, why would you, you know, I mean, having a choice to go to be with him in glory or stay here, man, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out which one to take when you're assured of a place in heaven with him. So saying thanks, Colossians 3.15 says, be thankful. Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will today. Tell him that you're willing to go wherever you, you know, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. Surrender your time, your talents, your treasures to him today. Don't hold anything back in 2012. And you watch in 2013, I'll ask you the same question. Are you the same person? And you will answer wholeheartedly no. Because I lived totally for God in 2012. Don't hold anything back. Just have a mindset. You know what? My life belongs to God this year. Give it back to him. And watch him use you to do his will. If you're going to do the will of God this year, you're going to have to know what it is. And God will tell you through his word. Um, Paul prayed for this church that they would, what? That they would be able to understand it. That they would be able to perceive the will of God. Remember Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You get those six or seven things out of the way. (laughs) Basically, the Bible tells you you can do whatever you want. Do whatever you like to do. And you'll be within the will of God. Well, he not only prays for them to understand the will of God, but he also prays for them to understand the word of God. He says there, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk just means the way you live your life fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how important it is to get into the word of God, to get into the Bible. That's where he, this truth is going to come from. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You may just be learning how to read. Read the Bible. I mean, it's the instruction book for all of life, and it's God's word to us. Maybe your friends have all turned their back on God, on the church. Don't go there. Maybe they think the books, the Bible's a book of fairy tales. It doesn't really matter. Read your Bible. It's going to get you through those years of doubt those years when you want to run away from God and from the home and from the church and everything that's decent and moral. Maybe you're a little older and you're, you're alone. 
might not be popular to stand for the Lord. It may not be popular to stand for God. But he will give you the wisdom above your years. And he'll lead you into a life of significance if you just allow him to do it. Maybe you're in your 30s and 40s and you have family and kids and all that. I mean, believe me, the Word of God has a lot to say about that. It's going to help you through those times when you need that encouragement, you need that inspiration to do the right thing as a father or mother in your family. And remember, your children are watching you too. Where does the Word of God come in its place in your life? Is it an afterthought? Is it a book that goes to church on Sunday and sits on the shelf the rest of the week? till you get it off the next Sunday? Or is it something that you are constantly studying and desiring to know more about God? Don't ever, don't ever turn away from the Word of God. Even if you're older, it has, I mean, boy, if I was older, I'd be reading about heaven. You know, I mean, the hope of heaven and, and all that, it, it, it looking forward to that. Leave that legacy of godliness to your grandkids. They see you reading and, and understanding the word of God. Pass that passion for the Bible and for the word of God onto your kids. See, Paul prayed that this church, that they would be able to understand or perceive not only the will of God, but the word of God. And both of those things are important. He also prayed in verse 10 for prosperity. He says, as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then he says this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul here, once again, he prays for prosperity in two areas. First of all, their walk. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy, the way you live your life. Is it fully pleasing to God? Not just pleasing to God sometimes. See, this comes back to the idea of, you know what, I'm going to live for him full bore. All or nothing. Paul prayed that the believers at Colossae, this church, this small little church here, would be prosperous in their walk with the Lord. I pray that as we begin 2012 together, that our walk in the Lord would be prosperous. That we'd walk in a manner worthy of God, fully pleasing to Him. I'm not going to be praying for you to make a million bucks or to stockpile a bunch of things in your garage that simply is going to rust and decay one day. I'm going to be praying for you to prosper in your spiritual life, that you would grow, that you would not be the same person spiritually a year from now that you are today. I'm praying that you will be, that we will be, the best example of what a believer in Christ should be. If we do that, then I, I really believe that God will answer that prayer. We will be prosperous. Paul prayed that they might be prosperous in their walk, but he also prayed that they'd be prosperous in their work. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. That's a good prayer, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you want to bear fruit in every good work that you do? As you serve God this coming year in 2012, I pray that the work that we do for Jesus Christ will produce more fruit than it ever has before. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this in chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, look at what he says. He says, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Have you ever done something, whether it's a project or a job or whatever, and you just feel like, this is useless. Why am I doing this? It's not accomplishing anything. You know, maybe you're just doing it for a check or whatever, but, you know, what's the purpose in this? That's probably one of the most frustrating things that people deal with. They're involved in something. They don't know why. They don't have any reason. They don't have any passion for it. They're just doing it. Well, hopefully that's not our attitude when it comes to the ministry. Hopefully we'll be steadfast. We'll be immovable. We'll always be abounding, it says, in the work of the Lord. 
That doesn't sound like it's saying, well, okay, humdrum, let's go to another Sunday. Let's... No, abounding has the idea of some excitement in your life. Abounding has the idea of, of above and beyond what the norm is. And then it says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, to be honest, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Can it? You're in ministry and you're plugging along. Sometimes you just scratch your head and say, why, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? Because we don't see the results that we want to see. See, Paul prayed that the church would be able to perceive the will of God and the word of God. And he also prayed that they would be prosperous, not only in their walk, but in their work. And the last thing he prays for here is their power. For the power of God in their life. Look at verse 11. It says that you may be strengthened. That you may be built up, strengthened, it says, with all power. That's limitless power. According to his glorious might. This isn't even power that you conjure up yourself. You know, there's a lot of positive thinking stuff going around or whatever. And you know what? Some of that stuff, frankly, it works. I mean, there's something to be said about telling yourself that, you know, yeah, I can do this. I can do that. That, you know, it gets your body geared up and you end up doing it. But you don't build your life on that. This power, it says, it comes from his glorious might. It comes from God. It goes back to that idea that you were saved. Right? That you're spirit-filled, that you're sanctified, that whole list of things that we went over. That can't come from within you. That's got to come from something without you. Colossians says that we need the power of God in and out of our lives and also in our ministry. I think sometimes we do without it too long. We get in a rut. And when we do that, we don't do very well without it. And we do stuff in our own might, in our own power, in our own ideas, and all this stuff. You know, it just ends on a, a big pile of nothing. But you, when you know you're doing what God has called you to do, and you're doing it with all your might, and you're doing it by His power, we need... God's power, first of all, to endure. He says, for all endurance and patience. Do you ever feel like quitting? Do you ever feel like just throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to stop. Maybe you've been praying for somebody to get saved. Maybe you're trying to reach out to that loved one. Maybe you're trying to rebuild a relationship with and it just ends up in a mess every time. You know what, eventually you're going to get to the point, you know, I just want to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to extend my hand anymore just to get it bit off. But the Bible says here that through God's power, he'll give you the strength to endure. He'll give you patience. I mean, we need patience, right? Don't we need? I need patience. My wife tells me that all the time. So I know it's true. But we live in a society where we just don't have patience. Drove down to Costco the other day, pick up some goodies and just, you know, it was a mess. Parking lot was a mess. And I'm thinking, all right, I better start praying now for patience because I'm going to need it. And I remember pulling in that parking lot and there's cars backing out, pulling in, and just craziness. People with packages and those push carts and they're blocking people and people are honking horns and and I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm always, I kind of want to get up close to the door. You know, you want to get that great, you know, that always, that's, that's a good thing when God opens up that parking spot right next to the door, you know. Oh, praise the Lord, look at it, we must be living right, man, look at what happened. And I thought, you know, I don't even want to go there today. I'm just going to go out here in the back 90 somewhere and park, and I need the exercise to walk anyway. So, and I went out there and I found... It was hard to find one even out there, believe it or not. But I found a parking spot I pulled in. 
and just walked all the way into the parking lot. You know what? And God answered my prayer of patience. Because as I was standing in line, two people ahead of me, I got in the line that was the shortest one with the people with the less amount on their cards. You know, Costco, I mean, it can take a while to check out some of these people. I mean, they're buying, I don't know what they're buying for, but good night. But these two people had very little stuff. And I thought, great, I don't know why nobody else is standing in this line, but I'm getting in line, there's no, going to be closed, sign, nothing like that. I'm thinking, this is great. And, uh, and then I realized the line's not moving. And the checker's like, well, it'd just be a second, it'd just be a second. I'm like, okay. And here the poor lady, she got up there and she wanted a fried chicken or something, I don't know, some kind of chicken. And uh, she didn't have it in her cart. She was an older lady and he goes, you know what, we'll get you it. Hold on, hold on. And, you know, and everybody's like, oh, you're, you're kidding, right? You're going to go back and get the chicken? And, and uh, so sure enough, he sent one of his little hirelings back there, and they're looking for another chicken. And he goes, oh, it, well, it won't take a long time. Don't worry. You know, he's kind of, you know, because people are getting kind of, there's a line behind me now. And they're scratching their head. What's, what's going on here? And uh, the lady finally goes, you know, I don't want the chicken. Seriously, I don't want it. Just let, let me go. She's begging to be let go because these people are getting kind of rowdy behind her. And I remember, it wasn't me, by the way. I was standing there, still in prayer. <laughs> but I remember this jacker, he was getting kind of nervous. And he goes, That's, I, I got it under control. Don't worry. And he takes his little thing, and he goes out, and he's looking. He's looking at people's baskets. And I'm like, what in the world is he doing? He goes, I found one. He goes, let me borrow your chicken. <laughs> and the lady goes, what? And he scanned it, and he goes, I got it. That's good. Okay, you're good to go. You just got to wait for him now. Everybody else can go through it because I got the scan her chicken, and they'll bring you yours, you know. But I, I remember sitting there thinking, you know, people are so impatient about things. We need that endurance. Next thing is we need to understand how to use God's power to give us that joy. We need to in, not only endure, but we need to enjoy what God wants us to do. I mean, what a prayer. Lord, help the Colossians to understand your will and your word. Help them to really prosper in their walk and in their work. And give them the power not only to endure, but to also enjoy while they're enduring. I mean, what an incredible prayer. And I think that 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 should really be embraced by us as we begin this new year together. Um, Some of you filled out those little cards last year. And I uh, mailed them back to you last week. Hopefully you got them. If you didn't, I don't know where they're at. But... uh, I would ask you this year to be thinking about what God wants you to do, want, wants to do in your life. Maybe it's a different area of service. Maybe it's um, concerns your family or your finances or whatever it might be. Your spiritual, your spiritual walk with the Lord. Um, I pray that that you will take that seriously and that you will really uh, uh, go before God and ask Him, God. I don't want to be sitting here a year from now saying this, this is I'm in the same spot I was. I want you to move on. I want you to grow in your walk with the Lord. Let's bow in a word of prayer before we have our communion time together and sing a couple of songs. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that as we gather here this morning, as we begin this new year, Lord, I, I pray that we would understand Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And Lord, that, that Lord, if we miss everything else, I pray that we would not miss the fact that, God, that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our place so that we could one day understand what forgiveness means, understand what healing means, understand what restoration means, that we would understand what true fellowship with you, what that means. It was one thing for Christ to be born. We just celebrated Christmas. We celebrated the time the Savior was born. But he was born to die. He wasn't just born to live. He was born to die. He was born to die on a cruel cross called Calvary for the sins of all those who would ever put their faith and hope in him. And I pray this morning, if there's any here who is yet to fully understand their relationship with God, through Christ. That, Lord, that you would do that work in their heart. That, Father, you would 
show them that there's not a person in this room who hasn't sinned in some way, who hasn't done wrong in your eyes in some fashion. There's nobody perfect. And the only one that was died in our place, who is Christ. So we've all sinned, we all fall short of God's glory, and we all need a Savior. I pray that you would turn to Him today. That you would stop trying to save yourself. That you would stop trying to live a religious life. That you would stop trying to think somehow you're going to clean yourself up. It's not going to happen. The Word of God says that our righteous deeds, our good acts, outside of Christ, they're but filthy rags. He doesn't even want to see them. But when we come to Christ... Our relationship with him is restored because it was broken because of sin. And what a wonderful way to start off this new year in Christ. Fully forgiven of all the sins in your life, everything you've ever done wrong and ever will do, covered by the blood of Christ. Understanding that he has a will for you and that it's been revealed to us. We don't have to guess about it. That each day we can wake up desiring to do His will and live for Him in a way that's honoring, in a way that gives Him glory. Father, I pray that we would evaluate our own lives as believers now. Lord, if there's something hindering our worship of You, that we would confess it to You and allow it to come under the blood of Christ. This communion table is something not to be just taken lightly. But it's meant for those who personally understand and have that relationship with Christ. And we pray today that you would uh, allow us to celebrate this time together as your body. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.